Welcome to this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. On this week's episode, the guys talk all about the Neighborhood Homes Tax Credit, the Biden administration's next step to make it easier for first-time homebuyers and increase our housing inventory, all while reviewing Hinterhaus Distillings Calaveras Cask Finish Bourbon Whiskey. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks, powered by Living in Colorado, the Mile High Perspective on YouTube. As always, my name is Charlie Stradelli, and I'm here with... Jameson Amaros. Oscar Barra. And uh, how'd you guys, how was your New Year's, everybody? How'd it go? It's good, man. It, yeah. was, uh, it was low-key. Smoked some meat. Nice. And uh, You should probably not smoke it. You should... What? Cook it. Oh, I smoked it. Oh, damn. Yep, rolled, like that, rolled it up and everything. Mm. Mm. It Colorado good. style. It was good. Yeah, we did uh, like 22 pounds of prime rib for some reason. Damn. Dang. That must have been good. It was, but not all 22 pounds of it. I'll see if I can throw yeah. the picture up on the video for you guys. Yes. Take a picture? Yeah. yeah. Yes, right. I did. It was, good. it was good. It was good. Prime rib's awesome. Man. What'd you get into? Yeah, nothing. Um, my buddy from Houston came over, and he doesn't drink. And I was, I was a little rough from the week. It was uh, back-to-back events and poker games and nuggets. just tasting bourbon that's all you were doing right sure I was, <laughs> if you want to call it Classy. doing so doing by, research for the podcast by, by new year's i was gladly not wanting to drink yep. so we just hung out watched some movies with the kids watched the countdown and and drank uh, ginger ale and so had some snacks uh, we had um we also went down to Manitou springs during the day to go check it out and came back home yeah well it, low-key it's, it's funny because it's funny that you mentioned that you watched the ball drop you know i grew up on the east coast in new york so like I didn't realize the time difference. Mm-hmm. When you're over there, you don't think, oh, it's a, it's a ball drop. Yeah. Other people are, don't have this. And it's like, I remember the first year I moved out here, I was like, time isn't real. What do you mean? The ball just dropped. It's 10 p.m. Right. Like, this, this yep. is not. So, for all we did And then they the replay it. Like, just low key, Alicia and I just hung out. I made some, uh, um, like, chicken parmesan wings. Mm. Don't recommend it. They were very messy. They were tasty. Yeah. But they were very messy. I'll see if I can throw some, some of those up. But, I mean, guys, I hope you had an amazing uh, holiday time. That, that week between Christmas and New Year's is literally like purgatory. That, yeah, that doesn't exist. No, it, it doesn't. It's a, dead, it's a dead zone. Right? And it, it's almost like it switches over into Christmas and everybody just shuts down. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. Oh, yeah. It, it's yeah. time loss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I turned into a couch for like five days. Right, well, yeah. I'll tell you what, guys, we are coming back at you hard with today's topic. Um, Welcome to 2024, which is an election year, right? And uh, Interesting things will happen this year. Oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, we're already seeing it, right? Even before 2024, we're already seeing interest rates are coming down. And uh, the topic that we're going to talk about today is back around October, uh, the Biden administration introduced the neighborhood, Neighborhood Homes Tax Credit. Um, and basically what that does is, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail, but they want to assist first-time homebuyers and make home buying a little bit easier for first-time homebuyers and certain demographics within that category. Mm-hmm. Um, but as always, you know, we like, we, we like to stay in the middle on the politics, but obviously this episode is going to be a little bit harder to, to kind of, you know, just stay on one side. And... Not saying who we're going to vote for or anything like that. I like to ruffle feathers. I mean, I, well, was, I, was, text, say, I was texting you all kinds of stuff about someone everybody right. hates. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, I mean, it's also just one of those things where we want to talk about this. Irregardless, I don't care how you feel. I don't care how yeah. you vote. That's your right. That's your prerogative. And we respect it. it. But we are here, as always, to share with you guys 
the information that is important to the future of the, the home buying market, the housing market, right? Um, and while we do that, especially on topics like this, we love to enjoy some bourbon. I like how you say, especially on topics like this. Yeah. What you mean is we love to enjoy bourbon. Yes. Well, I, Just in general. I'm, I period, do, semicolon, there's comma. Period. Period. Drinking bourbon. Period. Drink, there's something about drinking a good bourbon when it's like a heated topic. True. You know? True, true, true. It's, I don't know about you guys, but it gets it for me. Oh, I get it. Sure. Yeah. I could jump on that wagon. And uh, today's, today's... Usually most, most of the heated discussions I get into are after a couple of bourbons. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Speaking of holidays. Right. Hey, I mean, and and vice out. versa. I need bourbon after heated discussions. Yep, right? exactly. We'll just check out the uh, um, Jameson's uh, Instagram at any time or the Mile High Perspective on YouTube or, and, uh, and uh, TikTok, our videos. Yeah. The comments are, are great. I uh, get weird comments. I got a comment from some random... It's, it's a fake account. User 38666 <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, you seem funny. I like you. Come check out my page. <laughs> what? Little does Oscar know that's actually uh, Pinky Doll or whatever. She's reaching out because she wants him to watch, wants him to watch her live. I hate that. <laughs> I, that's sad, man. Right? But I mean, today's bourbon that we're trying is, is really, I mean, left field for what we usually have. Yep. Right? We, we usually try and stick with, you know, more traditional. We do, we do the rise. We do the, the small batches, uh, bourbon whiskey, stuff like that. Today's bourbon that we're drinking and please excuse me, anybody with a German or Swedish background. Hinterhaus. Hinterhaus? Hinterhaus. So it's this one. I, I like the bottle of it. I it like reminds the way me it looks. of, uh, oh, man. Uh, 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 yeah. Um, the movie with the same guys that do Super Troopers. Uh, uh, Beerfest. Oh, Beerfest. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. Das, das Boot. Yeah. <laughs> or right? what about the other one where, uh, is it Road Trip? the where he yeah. oh he yeah the safe the, word the safe word <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. very well, two very underrated movies but this, oh absolutely this bourbon um is unique because <laughs> not only is it 92 proof but it's finished in wine cast barrels right yes so jameson go go into <laughs> it a little bit i know i told that. this story before but speaking of beer fest um donald sutherland's in it right yeah and he's like big time old yeah. school actor and i know i told you i, I go to comic-con and i ran into keeper sutherland I won't say the whole story, but I didn't know he was behind me. And he t I turned around, it's Kiefer Sutherland. And he's like, hey, I was like, hey, I'm a fan of your dad's. And I, for some reason, that shit just is funny for me, to me because Kiefer Sutherland's a cool dude. I mean, I should have been like, dude, yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, he saved the president multiple times. He's I mean, become come on. the president multiple <laughs> times. And he has the rabbit hole series now. He's still doing stuff, yeah. but I had to give his dad And props. Donald Sutherland yeah. has been a spy master for like Oh, Donald Sutherland's a <laughs> man. I mean, he's in so much yep. stuff. That's anyway. Awesome. Anyway, oh, yeah, Jameson. Yeah, so it's Hinter, Hinterhaus. Hinterhaus. Uh, so supposedly highly rated. We've never had this before. Saw it on the shelf. I was looking at a couple different ones. Uh, I, did, I did find Wild Turkey uh, Rare Bird. Mm, that like, one's mm. good. It's pricey, but it's good. Yeah, so same price as this. So I might, we might do that one next just to compare. Yeah. So we have the same, okay. similar price. Oh, then we're not talking about the same Wild Turkey then. Because that Wild Turkey was like, I don't know which one. Uh, I gift it to one of my yeah. clients. It was like a $200 bottle. Oh, no. This one was like 65 bucks. Okay, yeah, no. Uh, but anyway, so this bourbon is distilled by Hinterhaus, right? And they are a distillery that does vodka, whiskey, bourbon, tequila, etc. They're They're in California. Do they do beer? No, no beer. They're based in California in the Sierra Nevada mountains. So they're about 4,000 feet up and they get all of their water directly from the glacier runs that, that are up in the mountains. Very similar like how Coors Light says Taste of the Rockies because of the clear water which I still think is a lie. If you guys have ever been to Golden, some nasty water. Anyway, 
Uh, the unique thing about this is they first age it in American charred oak barrels, <coughs> and then they partner with wineries in the region, and they pick and choose different wine casks, and then finish the aging process. No chill. Uh, they add water, obviously, for ABV purposes. Um, and every, every, basically every single one of these batches is always going to be single barrel because it's never the same wine cask. New barrels or old barrels? Old wine cask barrels. American? Yep. yep. Okay. Huh. Okay. So every single one of them is going to have a slightly different flavor profile yeah. because it depends on if it's a Cabernet cask, if it's a Syrah cask, if it's a Chianti, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And they change them up, but they partner with all these different distilleries or sorry, wineries to get these barrels to then finish the aging process of the bourbon in different wine casks. So this might pair so, well with fava beans. Yeah. Ooh. So 46% alcohol by volume. <laughs> okay. So not on the high, high side, but not low proof. Right? 92, yeah. I think um, is a good benchmark. Yeah. I like yeah. 92 as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so they uh, got 94 points as one of the top 100 bourbons for sipping under a hundred dollars. Okay. Right. Um, and they've got a bunch of awards for a bunch. They've got a bunch of different uh, like, accolades. Yeah. Accolades. Okay. But, um, yeah, it's interesting because one of their highest ratings is from uh, the wine enthusiast. Really? Yep. That's so. very interesting. Well, I mean, I'll just say on the nose in general, like, we, we actually didn't do a neck pour on this bottle. No. Um, but we did, we did pop it open. And I will tell you, the, the wine <clears throat> smell, like, the, that, yeah. that sweeter smell, very prevalent in this thing. Um, I went ahead and poured it out. First off, in the bottle, um, it, I don't know. Does it almost have, like, a, a, red, like a red hue, you guys? Yeah. I mean, they don't add color. So. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's weird because it's still amber, but it's almost like it, it just has a very subtle, like, you know that, you know when you finish a glass of wine mm-hmm. and that's that last little drip that's yep. in the bottom? That's the kind of color that I'm seeing. And you can almost see it in the bottom of the bottle. Yeah. As it reflects. Right. And does, is, does it give anything on the, on the notes? Yes. But okay. I want to I hear what you guys think. Okay. I'm a, I, I want to go to Oscar first. I, I, you know what? I've been missing the Miskin Oscar's uh, flavor. Flavor descriptions here. I can get, I could see where the wine yeah. comes through. It's almost like it's, it, I can smell the sweet dryness mm-hmm. of the wine. Not, not just the sweetness, but kind of like a, a Merlot. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if this is going to be tart because, because of the, the cask. I'm not getting a whole lot, guys. I just got done with a cold. So, I mean, I'm getting, for me, the burn is, is almost non-existent. Yep. Um, yeah, just, you got to go pretty deep. You gotta, I yeah. mean, it's there for, for the proof, but it's right. not yeah. it's mild. Yeah. No. And then, I mean, for it's a like bourbon, a, that, that wheat is very, that, that grain smell is very little. It's, mm-hmm. it's very small with the grain, which makes sense because of the wine cast. But it's kind of, kind of peachy. I was going to say a little bit more fruity. Kind of um, like dried, dried peach. Yep. And then also... Dehydrated. Apples. That caramel is subtle. Yeah, there's very, a... Very, there's very a, subtle. Like a sweet vanilla. Mm-hmm. I'm getting more fruit than anything. Yeah, which makes sense. Like a, like a peach blossom. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's what I A little got. bit of spice coming in at the end. A little bit of spice on the nose. All right, Jamo, what is it? What is it? Break so it the aroma should be chocolate oranges. Okay. Chocolate orange. Plum, which would make sense just based off of yep. it being, you know, a red wine cask. Uh, cherry cola. Hmm. Wow. 
which I can get the cherry cola a little bit. Cherry cola. Yeah, I can yeah. see the cherry cola. And then uh, this Flat one I don't really know cola. how to define. Hints of agriculture. <laughs> <laughs> that's Oscar. That's your. So it could bro. be <laughs> anything <laughs> agriculture. It could be the sprinkler system. <laughs> it could be a roll of corn. It could be the. <laughs> it could be the, the soil. The, the, the exhaust the of the yeah. of the tractor. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Right, it could well, be porch swing. I don't know. Right? It could be a a, mon- a Monday morning. Yeah. Exactly. I, honestly, crop. I think this one again just. And for everybody who doesn't know, the glass that we have in the middle of our table, that is uh, for the gentleman that brought us all together and started this podcast, JC Ortega. Um, and we leave this glass untouched for the entire episode. And we use this as kind of our open Benchmark. Yeah. yeah, like and go, okay, this is what it tastes like open. Yep. Um, so I'm excited to see what comes through on this because I feel like the alcohol is going to open. It's going to get a little bit heavier on the, the nose as it opens. But I'm also interested to see how the sweetness dies down. Mm-hmm. Maybe some fresh cut alfalfa. Agriculture, maybe. I don't know. Oscar, Oscar's just going through a field in his head like, all right, is it this? Is it it's that? like they grow radishes at farms, right? All right, yeah, I yeah. get radishes. Well, gentlemen, cheers. Cheers to the first, uh, I get first bourbon of 2024. Literally, I haven't had anything since last year. Very light. Best sipping bourbon is what this is what this got voted for. Also, maybe this is me. Mm. Not as sweet as I thought it was. Gonna no, be. no. Like the the aroma versus I was expecting. What was the uh, the Breckenridge one we had? The rum cask. The rum well, that cask. Was like yeah. Hit you in your face, sweet. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going to be a lot sweeter. Yeah, That's actually This is has a, has a lot of spice at the end. Yeah, yeah. A lot, a lot of, of spice. spice at the end. It sits more like in your chest than it does. It comes in, in your sweet and, and soft, and then it just hits you with a bunch of, yeah. a bunch of, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. It's so crazy to me how prevalent the wine is on the nose, mm-hmm. but in the in the maybe. Hold on, let me. Hold on. Mm. Gotta get that second sip in. Keep the sip in your mouth and and breathe into it a little bit. You could taste the wine. Okay. Yeah. Right there. Yep. Hmm. Well, what's that? It's a little bitter. That's what I was gonna say at the beginning. Yeah. It's, it's got a. Like a barky bitter, yeah. like an aspen tree bark. I'd love ever... to see. I'd love to look into the science of how wine pulls from a barrel compared mm-hmm. to how bourbon pulls right. from a barrel because it's definitely. I'm definitely getting the wood. I think that that dryness is is the. It oak. finishes with the oak hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, the, I could still taste the oak. Yeah, I mean the finishes should be. I don't know what one of these things is. Uh, long lingering ripe summer berries. So I think that's where the tartness comes yep. through. Yeah. Right? A little bit of that, that acidity. Figs. Acid. And then stone fruit. Stone fruit? Hmm. I don't know what stone fruit is. I don't know what stone fruit is either. All right, Google. You're going to find out today. Google it up. You're going to find out today. Stone. And then the palate itself should be coffee, rich vanilla, cherry strudel. I see where they're getting the strudel because I can definitely taste the bread. Like I can definitely taste the grain, but I don't. I don't see the coffee. I don't see the coffee at all. Maybe like some French vanilla creamer coffee. I don't know. I mean, a stone fruit essentially is just a fruit with a stone stone inside of it. Interesting. Okay. Like not an actual stone, but yeah. like, like something that covers pit. the seeds of pit. A pit. Like an avocado, but different because avocado is the seed yeah. versus a stone fruit is if, if that was more hollow and the seeds were inside mm-hmm. okay like a 
Mango? Yeah, so like for example, a apricots, blackberries, cherries, coconuts, dates, mangoes are all considered the wine? Stone, stone fruits. Now that it's sitting on my palate a little bit, I'm getting that wine on the back of my tongue. Yeah. That breathe through. Yeah. I definitely get, yeah. It's a little bit more complex than I thought Less, it was going to be. It, it is. It's very definitely much is. complex, yeah. but in the middle. Yeah. yeah. The, the front end is very subtle. Then it hits you with a lot, and then it ends very bitter and mm -hmm. oaky. I can see how they say that this is a good sipper because of the, the, the evolution of the flavor, especially compared to like a normal bourbon. It's, it's, it's light. Like the mouthfeel of it is light. Yeah, it's the mouth not, feels light. It's not heavy. Like that rum. But it's very dry. Yes. The Breckenridge rum was very dry. It was that heavy, almost syrup. This is not like that at all. No, it, it's no, dry. It's a dry kind of bourbon. Profiles, too. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right, Winter House. Yeah, all right. Let's see yeah. how it goes. Winter see House. How it goes. Well, while we continue to sit, it just changed again on the back yeah, of the house. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's literally like, it's like a. An everlasting gobstopper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Which plays to the credibility of why it's a good sipper because it's oh, no. enjoyable through, right? All right. So, guys. You know what's not enjoyable? Politics. Politics. You know what we're going to talk about? Politics. Politics. <laughs> All right. So, guys, like I said, today um, we're going to talk about the neighborhood. Today's the day. <laughs> the neighborhood <laughs> homes tax credit. And we're going to touch on uh, four main points that are within this proposal. Uh, from the Biden administration. And again, guys, remember, take it with a grain of salt. It's 2024. We're coming up on, a, on an election. So, of course, you're going to see them start <clears throat> painting the roses red. Yeah, patting themselves on the back saying, look what, <clears throat> look what we've done, right? Um, and real if, quick framework for this, though. Yeah. I think it's important to understand that this entire proposal by the administration is focused on affordable housing. Yes. And making it... Um, more accessible. More accessible to other people mm -hmm. because, and this is kind of big, right? And you guys can take from this what you will. This is not meant to be a political statement, but this is one of the first times I've seen it, read it said out loud from the political side of things, that having a place to live, uh, well, essentially, they believe that everyone deserves to live in a safe and affordable home. It's, a, that, that's an important distinction because essentially you're calling housing a human right, mm -hmm. which is going to affect policies and different things. But when we talk about the actual name of the bill, right, it's essentially targeting affordable housing, yeah. not necessarily lower, lowering the price of current homes on the market, and that's going to take, but expanding the availability <clears throat> for lower and middle income families, individuals, etc., to to gain access to housing. So a good a good episode if you kind of want to go watch through a little bit, skip through before you come in into this episode. Remember drop a like, comment whatever and then come on back to us after you watch it is our affordable yep. uh affordable housing episode. We do, we talk about what affordable housing actually is, not what the perception of affordable housing is. And again, we're going to we're going to touch in a lot of subjects because this is a a proposal that's bundled. Yep. It's not just one thing. Ultimately, I think for me, this is going to make the, po the policy changes are going to make it easier for you to buy a home, but then we're still going to be impacted by the rise of home purchases. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to see how that plays out. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want more defined 
um, explanations on what we're talking about here, leave a comment yep. or, or shoot us a call, email, and we can open that up to you. Yeah. Um, but, but because it is politics, they bundle a lot in here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of this stuff is going to be hyper-local. A lot of this stuff is going to be maybe not for the best interest of a lot of the people here in Colorado. And we'll get into that in, in, the, yeah. in the podcast. All right. So the it's going to be a heavy one, baby. So what we're going to talk about, like I said, is the Neighborhood Homes Tax Credit Act. And there are four main elements of this act that we're going to cover. And the first one is $16 billion in funding to build, build or rehabilitate 40,000 new homes, 10 billion, 400,000, 400,000, excuse me, new homes, 10 billion in down payment assistance, 100 million to supplement first time home buyers and 28 billion to builders, right? Um, so those are the four main points. And what we're, gonna, what we're gonna start with is breaking down the 16 billion in funding to build and rehabilitate 400,000 new homes. And in the past I've said, do you want more housing, more affordable housing, you have to incentivize the builders because they're, they're for profit, right? Mm-hmm. No one's gonna you know, risk their income or their livelihood or their family's livelihood just to produce more. It's just not the American yep, way. Exactly. Um, and you have um, entities like Habitat for Humanity that have gone away or not very prevalent right now. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could go back to that or supplement the builders, we could get back on track with more affordable housing. And we'll get into um, some yep. of the affordable housing that we've obviously had issues with qualifying in the past. Yeah. 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 So the, the whole point of the 16 billion in funding to build or rehabilitate 400,000 new homes is to provide livable homes for low income, um, areas. Yes. Right. And the two ways that they propose to do that are to rehabilitate old homes and build new homes in those areas. Right. So, so Jameson break down a little bit what that re rehab old homes. Why does that matter? Well, so it's interesting. I actually, one of the videos we posted on our TikTok channel, I got a comment from somebody that was essentially making that same argument going, yeah, you guys keep talking about that there's a housing shortage and we don't have enough houses for people, but I go through my city and there's abandoned apartment complexes, there's rundown houses. Why can't we just build those up and use those to, to place, whether it's homeless, whether it's low-income veterans, whether it's uh, you know any, anybody that's in a lower economic status. And we have said forever, and Oscar touched on it, that in order to do that, you have to incentivize, right? So what ends up happening is there are lower income areas. And when you have those areas start to become, I don't want to say decrepit, but like they're not an an economic opportunity zone. Mm -hmm. Like businesses are not going to go into an area that has a 40% vacancy rate on apartments. Why? Because whatever goods they have to sell, there's nobody to sell them to. Well, if that's the case and people start to move out, there's no reason for investors to go in and spend money on rebuilding or constructing new homes Mm -hmm. if the demographics are showing them that either A, nobody can afford them, or B, because of whatever the economic situation is in that area, nobody's going to come in and actually move there because there's no job opportunities, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went to St. Louis last year, I want to say, and we went to a wedding in Chicago. Or sorry, in St. Louis. Sorry, let me rephrase that. I went to St. Louis. <laughs> he was we were in, driving he was in Missouri and went no, to Chicago. We were, we were driving through St. Louis to get to the airport. The same thing happens in Chicago too on the outskirts. And we passed through, our Uber driver took us through this, I would deem a very sketchy area, right? There was, and I'll have to look it up after the fact, but there's a specific neighborhood. And this neighborhood probably covered, I don't know, three or four square miles. And it was rows and rows and rows and rows 
of row houses that were dilapidated, burned down by fires. <clears throat> there was obviously people in the street that were homeless, so on and so forth. But the amount of units in that area had to be over two, 3,000 mm-hmm. units, right? And of those two or 3,000, just driving through, taking stock of it, I would venture to say maybe 25% were occupied. Yep. Okay. But you've got the structures already there. You've got the utilities already there. You've got everything else that you need for a community. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to go in there and spend money to rehab that place without some sort of incentive, whether it's profit or in this case, a tax credit to do so. Well, and there's there's a lot involved. That that same uh, comment stated that, that we had a bunch of houses that he drove by and there's tons of houses up for sale. Well, there's a lot of factors there too. Um, but to touch on what you just said, you have to understand as a builder, um, you have a budget and on top of that budget, you have to make sure that the zoning allows for it. Correct. And, and when I say the zoning, it might be zoned for residential, and or mixed use, but again, then you have the city um, putting guidelines on it. Yeah. You can't do this, you can't do that. So a builder has to come in with his, with his budget and his, his build-out report and then still see if it fits what the, what the city wants there. <coughs> Correct. So and they still have to fight the city to make sure that they can construct something there and time is money. Right. If it's going to take them a year to get permits for all of this, they're, 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 I mean, they're holding their money. Yep. So the and way the, the way it yeah, works. That's what I was going to say is how. Yeah. So, so the way they're not, Jameson. They're, they're not going to just go ahead and say, "Here's here's sixteen billion dollars, no. up for grabs. Whoever wants Correct. it, go take it." So yeah. if, if somebody wants to rehab an old home or build with this sixteen billion, what does it what does that look like? So basically, what it means is the the government is going to give tax credits over the course of 10 years that are gonna total 16 billion. Now, again, this is what the proposed bill says. What actually gets passed could be very, very different, but mm-hmm. we're just going off of what is on paper right now and what they're suggesting. That Those tax credits will then go to investors to encourage them to go in and rehab, rehabilitate, mm-hmm. or build new construction, single family homes, multifamily homes in historically divested areas. So people mm-hmm. where money has actually been pulled out, Yep. okay? It is specifically for low to median income homes. With that said, there was a, there was a program um, back in the 2010s, I want to say, and you could fact check me. I believe it was called Dura, that it was for Cap Hill mostly. Yep. When the old homes that needed rehabilitation. So people would go in and say, this is my income. This is the year my home was built. I need new windows, new roof, new whatever. And they would, it was a grant. They would give them the money and they had to use um, specific... Uh, contractors to rehab their home. Well, so in Oscar, that I wonder if up, that's going to No, Well, that brings up a phenomenal point, right? And what we're seeing so much of now, and we've touched on this, we, we've, everybody, you've, you've commented on this, what everybody thinks when you hear this, oh, you're telling me builders and investors, that dirty word, investors and hedge funds are going to get tax credits to build. And then that just means that they're going to build it and then flip it and rent it or sell it for hire. Jameson, can they do that with this? Not with this program, no. Exactly. So the way this program works is the only way they get the tax credits is if they can prove that a certain percentage of those homes are now being owned or rented by lower median <coughs> income households mm-hmm. that have to pass basically a checklist to make sure that they qualify, that they don't make enough. The second piece of this, people are going to ask, well, I don't understand how that even works, right? What it does is we know that rehabbing a house or building a new construction in a lower income area or a divested area tends to be more expensive. So what this tax credit does is it essentially covers the gap of what the construction cost is and what the purchase price would have been in a thriving market so that the builders are still making a profit, but they can spend more 
because they're going to get that incentive back, which now allows them and encourages them to invest in those areas and say, hey, not only is it a tax credit, now I can write that off. I can build these homes. I can still rent them out. But they're going to be beholden to making sure that the owners and the occupants of those houses, single family homes or multifamily in those areas that are getting this tax cut are low or middle income families. And I think that right there, I mean, it, it just shows like, again, non-politically, if we, if we break away from the politics of it, to me, that, that gives me some hope, right? Because I feel like that's an acknowledgement of what everybody's pain point is, which is <clears throat> these huge corporations are coming in and, and throwing money in and pricing everybody out. I like how they're, <clears throat> how they're pushing this yep. to, for that. And again, non-politics, I just like where their head's at because it feels like they're actually they're not just going, hey, here's some money, fix it. They're going, oh, wait, if we, we tried that already and look what's happened in a lot of states across the, mm-hmm. across the country, right? And Oscar, to, to your point, I mean, the, the next part of this, um, and Oscar, you touched on it, was part, uh, part of this is $28 billion are going to go to incentivize builders, right? And what that's going to do, and the whole purpose of that, is to add inventory and incentivize them to build lower income properties. And if you are a follower of the podcast, a listener, watcher, whatever you are, we, we called this out probably four months ago, mm-hmm. right? We, we had, what are some possibilities for the housing market to get better? And it is incentivizing these builders to build more properties that are accessible by low-income families and, and individuals. And, and go for it. There's Oscar. a double-edged sword to that, right? Because at the same time, not only incentivize, but allow for some of these zonings to allow for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to vote. You got The people have a say, right? Um, will Castle Rock allow you to go ahead and build a bunch of stuff? Are the people going to like that? Um, it's a demographic thing. It's mm-hmm. a it's a generational thing. Lakewood, I don't think they're going to allow for that either. They're they're not they're, the the neighborhood doesn't want new construction or more commercial. Mm-hmm. So we got to get over that hump too. So it's going to yeah. be very hyper localized because here in Castle Rock, I don't know what the demographic is, but there's a big um, Gen Z and Boomer population that doesn't want Castle Rock to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to keep it small. They want to keep it a small town. And then you got the millennials and the Gen Xs that say, hey, let's, let's move forward. Mm-hmm. So we got to get over that hump too. So again, <clears throat> when it comes to this episode, you have to really do your homework on what you want as an individual and then talk to your parents. Talk to your aunts, uncles, or grandfathers and say, look, this is my point of view and maybe spark up a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, guarantee they're going to be like, hell no. Yeah, well, and, and something that plays into that too, Oscar, is, you know, uh, uh, and to not- My new favorite word. Yeah, I was going to say, to not get too real estate-y on, on everybody. And the, the biggest issue with builders right now is, as Oscar said earlier, it's a business, right? Yes. You're not going to start a business to give away money and not make money. So what ends up happening, um, and, and Jameson has a beautiful word for it, is these builders go in and they want to sell their houses for the most. They, they want to rent them for the most when they build them. So what ends up happening is they only build certain kinds of housing and that housing isn't really accessible and, and something that's uh, doable for, for low-income families. Well, so, put it this way. Would you like to invest in the stock market and say, hey, let's just, let's just give the startup $100. Um, you're only going to make a dollar back. Yep. Yeah, just because we want this startup to really launch. Mm-hmm. I'm investing my money. I want them to go big and make the most profit from it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a vague, weird way to look at it. Same with the housing. You're not going to invest your money to just to make a buck. Mm-hmm. It's a waste of time. Especially not when you're multi-million 
dollar company that's in multiple states dealing with different regulations right. and and stuff like that. But Jamo, you you added a word to your uh, to your, to your vocabulary yeah, today. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. But I want to I want to touch on what you guys just said. So when we talk about affordability, right? We're going to switch from just affordable housing in general to affordability. The the basic crux of the problem is supply demand. We have too much demand for people. I know it keeps changing. Chocolate. I know. 100% just got the chocolate. Yeah. All right, it's just dry. My mouth is super it dry. It is dry, but not, sip it. Sorry, Jamo. Nope, you're good. 100%. I got the chocolate. Yep. The cherry and the chocolate. 100%. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I got, right. <laughs> I got the cherry. Um, so we got to figure out a way to... And we'll even just talk the rental market, right? It's just mm-hmm. a microcosm of what we're talking about. You need more affordable units for apartments. We've talked about this in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. The problem is developers will go in and they will build one of three types of buildings. Class A, Class B, or Class C. Basically what that means is it's either going to be a high-end unit, middle-of-the-road unit, or a low-end unit. The difference of building a low-end unit versus a high-end unit is negligible because you're buying everything in bulk, right? So if I'm buying Corian countertops versus buying granite countertops over the course of a 200 unit apartment complex as a builder and an investor it's not going to cost me a ton but if i can go from corian countertops to granite and if i can go from carpet flooring to lvp but i can now charge 500 dollars more a month in rent per unit i will do that all day long mm-hmm. and oscar said it time and time again until he's blue in the face that is why Tax incentives, we call them low-income housing tax incentives, are needed to incentivize builders to build low- and middle-income homes, whether it's single-family or, in this case, multifamily. That's part of that $28 billion in this plan is to give that to builders and say, hey, we know you're going to make a ton of money building Class A high-end units. We need you to build Class B and Class C so that we can bring rent under control. We can provide more units. And by doing so, we will now give you a tax credit to cover the difference of what you would have made market value if you bought a if you built a class A building versus now building class C. So I that's think, that's what it is. Well, I think I think that's something important to highlight right there is this is again this is not twenty eight billion dollars that these builders are going to go <clears throat> hey here's a pool of money and go grab it. Yeah. What this does is this covers the gap. So if they were going to build a let's say quote unquote luxury unit versus a quote-unquote standard unit, this $28 billion is to go, hey, what you, we're going to give you the money that you would have made if you made that luxury one. Mm-hmm. So now you're not losing anything, but Correct. you can build the houses that we need. Mm-hmm. Or more, and then yep. do, val- do volume. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the $16 billion, with the rehab, they're also, outside of the money, I think they're going to re- revamp the 203K. Yes. The mm-hmm. FHA 203K loan program is an FHA program that you could buy a house that needs help, right? Mm-hmm. So it needs um, it needs a, a remodel. Basically, it's job. a rehab loan. It's a, it's a rehab yep. loan. So you go in, you purchase the home for, you know, let's say for round numbers, a hundred thousand dollars, and then after remodel value is to one hundred and fifty. So they'll lend you one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you could do draws from it. So they'll they'll allow they'll allow money to for housing for you or to pay the loan. And then for the contractors to rehab the loan. And then you buy the house, you get the work done, and then you refinance it. And that's what a 203K is. Yep. Yep. So they're going to revamp that. And outside of that, also for the consumer, is they're going to allow for that money to, for some ha- somehow, some way, I don't know, ADUs. Yep. And ADUs are accessory, accessory dwelling units. And what's interesting about that to me is we're seeing now a big push from builders that are they are now building homes with ADUs. Well, so... The- Shea. 
to, yep. uh, <clears throat> to answer Oscar's question, one of the ways they're going to do that is they're going to allow projected rental income mm-hmm. from an ADU, auxiliary dwelling unit, uh, to factor in whether or not you get approved for the actual loan of buying, of building an ADU on your property. Yep. So that's how they're going to do it. So you don't have to have and a rental history. You just have to say, hey, it's a <clears throat> two bedroom, one bath, X amount of square feet. This is what the market rent is. This is what I'm projecting. You don't even have to have a lease signed in order mm-hmm. to do this. It's projected rental income that they're going to now take into account when you have to finance. Because an ADU is not cheap to build. Right. right? And, that's what, and, and uh, that's what I was just going to say. And I, I hope it's significant. Yeah. Because this bullshit will give you, will incentivize you $20,000 to start an ADU. Then you go try to build an ADU and it's $120,000. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope it's substantial. Yes. I'm going to buy this property and subsidize a good amount of money for that ADU. Yep. Yeah, have some skin in the game, too. They're not just going to gift you the money, right. but make it substantial. What's 20000 going to do mm-hmm. when you got to spend 110000 You know, you're still spending that money and then qualifying for that. Yep. So I hope it's substantial. And, and that's, I, that, that's, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. On this, um, again, we're not going to take it to politics, mm-hmm. but it better be substantial. Yeah. We're not well, just going to say this is good. It's g- maybe good, but it better be substantial. And, and Oscar touched on it earlier. We've touched on it on previous episodes. Um, but the, the main point of this, the one thing that could hinder this growth with building is going to be zoning, right? And, and by zoning, guys, again, just layman's terms, imagine if you're, you're looking at a square and there's a bunch of little squares inside that square. Zoning is saying, hey, in the top left corner, you're allowed to, you're allowed to build in these five squares. In the bottom right corner, you, you're not allowed to build here. We don't want any, any new additions. And that is something that is set by us, the voters. And just as a great example, Boulder, Colorado. If you're not from here in Colorado, you know Boulder, Colorado. Everybody knows. Prime time. Right? Boulder. And See you, glasses. baby. <laughs> Right? So and, Jameson's wearing some primetime glasses. Boulder right now is under a lot of fire from the governor because they have held off on opening up areas and zoning to build more. Why? Because as Oscar touched on earlier, there are so many people that, you know, the people who do own homes, the boomers, right? They're going, no, this is my neighborhood. It's been like this. I don't want it to change. I don't want it to grow. And they may not be a part of that, but guess who's voting? The boomers, right? So one big part of this is as a community, as a people, and I understand how you guys feel about, about voting, sorry about you know, how you feel about it. The truth of it is, if we wanna change these laws, these, these zoning restrictions, we have to show up with knowledge. It, and it, it becomes personal, right? Yeah. It becomes very personal because, although they'll pass it on the higher level, <clears throat> does the county or the state level get to exactly. veto it? Or we're not gonna be a part of it, or we're gonna, you know, chop it up. Um, and for example, there's this big thing here in Colorado for charter schools, right? The funding for charter schools, uh, the Catholic uh, schools are, ex- uh, they, they, they can't have that, none of the, any of that money because of how their religious beliefs are. So it becomes very personal from a, um, from a religious standpoint on that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, same with real estate, it's gonna become personal because like in Castle Rock, a lot of these people don't want to expand Castle Rock. They want to keep it small. Mm-hmm. So it's depending on what the needs of the community is and where the community wants to move forward with what this topic is going to, is going to bring to them. Yeah, yeah I th- it's, it's a great point. So my new favorite word is nimbyism. Isn't that the cloud that Goku rides on? <laughs> Nimbus. Oh, yeah, flying close. very Nimbus, close. Right? Very close. Nimbyism. It stands for not in my backyard. Okay, and what people need to understand... Walmart, you should think Walmart when yeah. that yeah. happens. Yeah. People need to understand that 
the federal government can introduce, when we talk about zoning laws, all we're talking about with zoning laws is we, in order to create more supply, there's two ways to do it, right? You build a ton more houses, just somewhere, right? Or people sell a bunch of their houses and they die. And so we kinda, can, we're kind of in between so a, you can have, rock right? and a hard because, spot here because we can't the, build west. Well, and here's the problem. When, when, like we've talked about rates and we've said, okay, if rates come down to 5.5%, it's going to unlock home in, inventory, which it will because anybody that's in that 3 4% range now may see it as not as big of a jump to sell and then improve, right? But here's the thing. If I have a first-time home buyer that's renting and it's waiting for rates to drop, I have a homeowner that is owning and waiting for rates to drop. Rates drop, that homeowner puts their house on the market. So they add one unit to the inventory. But then the first-time home buyer who is currently renting buys that house. So the net net is zero. We haven't changed inventory, right? We've given people more choices. We haven't added to inventory at all. And then if a new construction home gets completed and that person that sold that house now goes and buys a new construction home, well, now we've just negated that increase in inventory, right? So we're essentially just creating churn. We're just get, creating churn for right. more people. And then you got the, the investor only, that wants to keep the house and rent it right. and buy the new construction. So, so the only again. way to, do, to change that is to introduce more new construction homes. Mm-hmm. That is it. Like A lot. That more. is it. But to Oscar's point, in most metropolitan areas, well, every metropolitan area, but as far as the, the, the population goes, they don't want to buy a house on an acre, right? Get away from the neighbors. And then the next parcel of land next door is multifamily, mid-rise apartments, townhomes, wherever you want it, right? The other thing is <clears throat> zoning laws have to be changed at the local government level. They cannot be changed, really, by the federal government. Okay, there's one Imagine way. They, if that there's one way they can. Do you guys know what the term is? Yep. Don't, what is it? Eminent domain. Eminent domain. What and comes God after? God forbid. Which means, in this day which age. means the government goes, hey, guess what? That's our land now. Yep. We're gonna do with it what we please. Uh, you guys can go fuck yourselves. Mm-hmm. If, it's, the, if it's if it's for the greater good of the community. Right, but I mean, eminent domain. They just basically take land, yep. right? That's what it is. And you and don't then have the a act say of, if it's better for the community. The act correct. of eminent domain is condemnation. Exactly. They come in, they seize the land, yes. and they do what they need, seem fit for the community. And the reason that can't happen is because as it stands and as it has been for a while, the housing industry has been able to straddle right and left-leaning politics. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, it has been more of a bipartisan issue than a single one, right? In, in if my, you have an administration come in, and say, okay, well, we're going to change the zoning laws for you because this is what the country needs, that will be sure. not good. Let's Ooh. touch on eminent domain really quick because from my, from my experience of eminent domain, it's happened here in Colorado a few times in my, um, in my career. It's more so for the light rail. Correct. They, they did eminent yep. domain over on, on Colfax um, in Lakewood, and they took a lot of land from people, and they offered good money. And also over in um, the Rhino District, right, mm-hmm. for I-70. Yep. Eminent, it's usually for transportation for the growth of the community. Correct. Now, can they do that for building housing? I don't know. I don't know that they can. I don't know if that's part of it. But is it an option? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. you, you put it this way. I mean, I, and I don't know this, right? This is just an opinion. But if you start classifying something as a basic human right, and then the government goes, well, in order to provide that basic human right, we need this land. I, I could see why there would be mm-hmm. an argument that could be made. Mm-hmm. It would go to the Supreme Court. Some you really got someone that's been a homesteader there for 100 yeah. years. And yeah. then, 
hey, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to sell. Well, we'll give you five million. Well, nope, the, I'm not going to sell. Which is I, why, money's not an option. Okay, right. well, now we're going to flex our government muscle, right. and we're taking your land. That sucks. Right, yeah. which is why it hasn't happened. I don't think it will happen, but that is why when we talk about zoning, in order to build more houses, right, and more, more units available for people to bring normal affordability down, zoning laws are going to have to change. And zoning laws are affected by a lot of different things, but all of it is based on the local level. So all the government can do, and that's the reason we're talking about incentives and all these tax credits and different things, is they essentially can dangle a carrot and say, hey, if you guys do this, we will reward you. The other option is the government goes, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to take money away from you. Mm-hmm. It's and that's either, something either they take it or you take the money. But that's something they don't want to have happen. So that is why when Charlie talks about going out and voting and really understanding kind of what's at stake in the big picture, it's important to look at something like zoning laws because in Castle Rock, for example, you've got minimum lot sizes. And what those minimum lot sizes do is they prevent higher density housing. But minimum lot sizes also cost more. So if they cost more, then you're going to get charged more for your new construction home, so on and so forth. I mean, right? there's so much factors to this, too, because if, if, you, if, if, I, if I get to voice my, my opinion, it's, uh, it's affordable housing. You know, we're, we're, they're, they're, they're painting it as affordable housing, but it's just a, uh, a trick for stimulus, right? They're, they're going to try to stimulate the economy and, 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 and the, the real estate market. But there's so much factors because you, 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 we talk about affordable housing. Our prices here in Colorado have gone up so much mm-hmm. that it has to be drastic. We've, we went up so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, in 10 years, I was selling houses in Harvey Park for $100,000. Let's call it 15 years, $100,000. Those same houses are selling for five, dollars $600,000. That's insane. So when we say we, we, we take that blanketed word affordable housing, there's a lot more involved. Well, think about it this way, right? People will say, well, you know, Colorado, let's take, for example, we'll just build east, right? There's plenty of space out there. Just build houses east. You could, but that goes now back to why? If there's no industry out there, like I'm not, you're not going to see 18 new subdivisions pop up in Strasburg because who's, who's going to move to Strasburg, right? And then what's an hour and a half commute to Denver. So you go northeast, a lot of agriculture out there. Sure. You go just east of Castle Rock, again, cattle, agriculture. What are we doing with them? Right. Right? We're, because back in the 80s, you would, ha- you would head up, 70s and 80s, you would head up I-25. Literally, Denver Metro would stop at 84th. Mm-hmm. You go, my, my grandmother lived in Bertha, Colorado. We'd go visit her. From 84th all the way to her house was farmland. You could literally get off on I-25, jump a little fence, pick some corn, jump back in your car and leave. I mean, it was farmland. Mm-hmm. Now, all those farmers have been, you know, pushed, pushed out mm-hmm. all of it, all the way to, I mean, now you drive all the way to Fort Collins mm-hmm. and there's, there's city. Mm-hmm. It goes all the way to 160th yep. Thornton. And then there's maybe a little bit of farmland. You got the Budweiser plant and then you hit a couple little towns, Mead, Longmont, and then you have Fort Collins. Mm-hmm. So we got to look at that, too, because we're still an agricultural um, right. But that's why, it's a, that's why it's a delicate balance. Where do and we go? And, and we can't go west. Right. It's the mountains. And right now, well, just from insurance purposes, you can't go west because yeah. you can't build it there. But that's the whole purpose of, of talking about the zoning law portion because it's going to start within the major metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. That's where a majority of the people live in Colorado, for example. That is where the majority of the pain points for affordability are going to be. 
But if zoning laws don't allow for things like accessory dwelling units, they don't allow for things like multifamily because there's height restrictions, parking restrictions, off-street <coughs> parking restrictions, et cetera, lot size restrictions, you're, all you're doing is exacerbating that problem by not taking into account that zoning laws need to change. The federal government can't specifically do anything without upsetting 50% of the population, right? So it boils down to incentives, and then it boils down to the community voting for the cities and municipalities to use those incentives to bring in the ability to construct and, and, more and it's a fine line That's to it. walk too because right. me personally we have to do it in the denver uh, uh, metropolitan area we have to why because we could tear down and rebuild right there's been a lot of historic buildings that you can't touch you can only rehab you can't yep. remodel f that because the outdoorsman in me I, I ice fish, I fish, I hunt, I do all these things. I don't want them to go into our natural forests. I mean, we, I don't want them to go into our outdoors. I, absolutely not. I will vote against that 100% of the time. I just will because I love the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Where do we need to do it? We need to change the zoning within the metropolitan area, yeah. the Denver metro area, and fix that. I mean, build up for all I care. Just don't build out. Don't right. mess with my outdoors area. Well, and that's my personal opinion. You guys want another, another solution? Okay. I'm just fine. I'm, so we're gonna, I, I like to, when we do these kind of conversations, I like to get both sides, right? Because mm -hmm. we've been reading from the Biden administration's actual announcement and they have their own agenda. And then you go out and you have people that have different views. This is an interesting one. So this, this says that a better way to expand low-income housing would be to make any new construction that met the criteria for low-income housing exempt from income tax. Hmm. So that because they're seen as essentially property dealers, if I'm a developer and I build a building for 100 million and then I either sell it or my profits from rent are 150 million, I'm now paying 37% tax on that 50 million, right? Well, what that does is it makes developers go, okay, if, I can, if, I'm, gonna get paid, if I'm gonna get charged 37%, instead of making 50 million on this project, I wanna make 150 million so I can keep more money in my pocket. Mm -hmm. By making, developers tax exempt if they build low-income housing they keep a hundred percent of the profit that in and of itself would incentivize and what it does is it will then allow taxpayers to keep more money and it allows local developers to decide when and where they need to put these buildings because they know the local market a little bit better than you know bureaucrats in washington or whoever it is it's an yeah. interesting idea and um i know charlie is the one that kind of handles the segue of our topics <laughs> that opens up another incentive, incentivized opportunity for an investor, which is they're revamping the land trust. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about the affordable housing with land and trust is that when you buy a house, you're buying land and you're buying the property, right? Most of the value is in the property. Now as a builder, I'm gonna build it out and you're gonna say that I can lease out the land. So I keep the land, I lease it out, and then I could sell the home. Mm -hmm. And then they're still making a profit there. So with revamping that, it allows more people to do that because there's people that are like, I don't give a crap about the land. I'll, it's pretty much almost like rent, but I own it. So there's, a, there's still a profit margin in there. And the builder gets to keep the land yep. or the, the corporation. Well, and so the first half of this, I think they did a really good job of, of kind of breaking it down. The first half addresses actual livable homes, the, the, um, the, the, the inventory of homes. And then the second half of what we're going to talk about you can tell that they're focusing more on who's going to buy those new homes, right? Um, and the next portion of this is $10 billion 
in down payment assistance is going to go towards first generation, low income buyers. Um, and this also ties in <coughs> to the, the second half of it. And the last part, which is $100 million will supplement all first time home buyers, right? So there's a, there's a, a small difference, but it's a big difference between these two things. So the $10 billion in down payment assistance is specifically for, like I said, first generation and low income first time home buyers. Define first generation. So first generation is your parents have, and their parents have been renting. You, you, nobody in your family has owned a home. You've never used the first time home buyer loan. You've never, they didn't apply for, they didn't own a mortgage. And generational renters. Generational renters, exactly. And, and that is- Similar to a first generation college graduate, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Mm -hmm. This would benefit the first person in the family to save up and be able to purchase a home. Yes, and, and I, like that, I like that you said it like that, Jamo, because this, I, you, know, you heard me say 10 billion compared to 100 million, right? That, that's a big that's difference a big, in money. Big that, difference. That's a big difference in money, right? But that 10 billion is, is allocated for those who have been stuck in those low income areas because irregardless of how you feel about, you know, this, person's get, this person has this credit score and this person doesn't pay this, what ends up happening to a lot of Americans in low income areas is they're clawing at a, at a wall. They're in a hole and they're just clawing. They're trying to find their way out and they can't. So what ends up happening is their parents tried to climb out, couldn't, so they rented. Now they're trying to climb their way out, but they can't because rent is too damn high, right? So what this is for, and I like that it's 10 billion allocated to this, is specifically for those who are, I would say, trapped. And yeah. you know, guys, you've heard me say it before, I'm a proprietor of learn, teach yourself, get yourself out of it. But the reality is a lot of people can't because when you start, you know, at number 98 in a race, you better be damn good to get up to first place by the end of the well, race. Well, not of that, but I if mean, you the, look at you The look difference at is $9.9 billion, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, That's a huge at, gap. Look at Aurora, right? Aurora yep. here in Colorado is one of the most affordable, actually probably the most affordable city in the Denver metro area. It's also the second biggest out of off to Denver. Correct. If, but you want to, I want to say on average, a townhome, two bed, one bath in Aurora is around $350,000. Yep. Somewhere around there. So let's say you do an FHA loan, right? At three and a half percent. Your down payment is still going to be almost thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars. And they got closing right? costs. Right. Plus closing costs at what one percent? So another three. So call it seventeen in, seventeen to twenty thousand dollars all in. What Charlie's talking about is there are people that are stuck in this race of not being able to save. I mean, I would challenge anybody listening to this or watching this. How many of you have gone and in three years saved twenty grand? Well, I was going to say you know the what I'm average. Saying? What, what, I mean, what is it? The average American right now has less than. A thousand dollars in their in their savings. Middle oh. to middle to upper income, can you save twenty G's yeah. in one in one year? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. if you're really, but it's, really and good. it's still not easy. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's no, it's hard, dude. It's hard. There was a um, side hustle, baby. Man, I'll have to pull this up. But essentially, this gentleman was going through, and he was he was looking at the American savings, right? And there's population three hundred thirty million of us, or whatever. And during the pandemic and a year after the pandemic, the, the total savings was in the trillions of dollars. Savings for the U.S., for the average American. It has fallen by 50% since 2021. So we went from a trillion to like, it was like 1.2 trillion down to like, I don't know, 630 million, or sorry, $630 billion in savings that we have dwindled to, which you divide that by every household in America, it works out to about $2,700 
per household in the U.S. in savings. Again, that's we're a talking huge about. Gap. We're talking about in Aurora, Colorado, here here in Denver. If you want to put three and a half percent down, you need a minimum fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars as a first-time home buyer who has student loans, credit card debt, six hundred dollar car payment, yada yada yada, and you're paying two thousand dollars a month in your current your current lease. That is very hard to do. And if you don't have the generational knowledge of how to do that because your parents were able to do it and your grandparents were able to do it, you're behind the eight ball even more. So something like this program allows individuals and families like that to say, hey, if you qualify and there's, there's income limits to what you can do, not everybody can do it, investors can't do it, it's strictly for, and you have to prove that you are a first generation home buyer you get access to that to start building generational wealth. You buy a house for $1,000. Yeah. Yep. And that's, and, and guys, we ha- again, we have a whole episode on affordable housing and that's how grant works. money. Also yep. check out our, uh, our episode with Colin Keenan. Uh, we also went over what down payment assistance is on that episode. It was a little yep. bit earlier um, in, on, the, on the channel, but check it out. Great information on that. Um, and the second part, like I said, of this is $100 million will go to supplement all first-time home buyers. So... Again, difference between the 10 billion and the 100 million is the 10 billion is for first generation, the ones who literally are stuck and cannot get out because they can't save, they're paying regularly. This one, the 100 million dollars, is to supplement all first-time home buyers. And what this is, this is going to add 100 million dollars on top of what we already have available. And again, we talked about that on a previous episode. So I think by adding that 100 million dollars, it could. You know, if, if you look at the grand scheme of things, you go, how the hell is $100 million going to help? Right. But that $100 million on top of the money that we're already putting into FHA, you know, HUD, all that kind of stuff, it, it could be a game changer. It could be a game changer. And I think the elephant in the room, and this is something that people are uncomfortable talking about, but the, the, the aim of this program specifically, when we talk about underprivileged, underrepresented individuals and groups of people, it's taking aim at minorities mm-hmm. that have historically had a harder time achieving home ownership, right? Whether that's socioeconomics, again, zoning laws, development laws, all those different things. The purpose of this, and, and they've done studies on what, if, if this program is built out in its entirety, it would, um, it had the potential to help, basically the groups of people would help, 35% would be African-American, 25% would be the Latino population. Right, which we know that that is something that has been zoning laws have kept minorities in in, in areas for decades. Mm-hmm. Whether or not people want to talk about it, if you don't want to talk about it, fuck you. It happens. And this is Jeez. a program. It's true. Dude. No, it, it, it really is. is. It really it's is. True. It's just something that gets I'm sorry. over it's, because it's people true. don't like to feel like they're negatively <clears throat> impacting somebody else. And yeah. and that's that's what it is. And this will allow a positive impact to those unrepresented groups that will help them break that cycle of continual renting working three jobs, not being able to have a steady monthly payment that doesn't increase seven to 10% every single year because of, you know, uh, lack of uh, affordable units to rent, so on and so forth. And I think that's a, that's a potentially a huge, huge impact. And the definition of a first time home buyer can be you owned a home in the past, but you rent it for a while. You're considered, I think it's three years. Uh, it might be right? less than that. Is it less it might three? be less than that. It's three uh, or less. Um, yeah. I, it might even be a year, but um, get a hold of us yeah. and, and we'll walk mm-hmm. you through it um, because you may be considered a first-time home yeah, buyer yeah. and you might just need that little bit of, of help. Mm-hmm. You don't need to take the full amount. Right. You just need a little bit of help. You can still put your own skin in the game 
And I've always been a, an advocate of putting your own skin in the game only puts you in a better situation. But if you need the money, the money is there. Mm -hmm. And I think, so what the one thing that sticks out to me about this portion of it, the hundred million to supplement all first time home buyers is they are prepared now and they're moving. And this is a shift that, I mean, it is monumental. They're moving to allow non-standard proof of payment acceptance. So what that means is they can, if you're renting and you've never owned a home or you're renting and you don't have a credit card, they're going to now allow you to use your proof of payment to show, hey, I've been renting for five years and I've never missed a, a, a rent payment. <clears throat> They're gonna, now gonna be able to use that and apply it to your first time home buyer loan, which so, is incredible because of how many people get held out from credit just because, I mean, just as an example for everybody watching, right? For me, my dad was, was an addict. He, you know, it, and one, by, one part of that is they look for money, right? When I turned 18, I love my dad to death, but he did what he had to do for money. He used my social security to apply for credit. So when I first went for credit, I already started with a 550 credit score because he had used my, mm -hmm. you know, so the reason I bring that up, is, it, please don't, don't feel bad for me. The reason I bring it up is because everybody has this image in their head, right? And remember when this, when everything happened months ago with the, the changes to the rates, Everybody freaked out because they're like, I spent so long building my credit and now you're telling me these people who have no credibility are going to be able to get it? Yeah, so if you were complaining about that, here you go, guys. This is, this is a way for people to show I can pay. I just don't, I don't have standard credit, but I do have a car payment that I pay. I do pay my rent on time regularly, never missed it, my utilities. Like, I say all of that to, to try and break you away <laughs> from that image in your head of the person that is going to be taking advantage of this. It could be a normal person that just got shit luck and got dealt cards that they didn't plan on. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, divorce cases. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went through a pretty bad breakup that I was left with a, a large amount of debt and I had to find my way out of that too. But um, what Charlie's uh, saying is it, it's, it's going to be um, more than likely FHA and they're going to allow for alternative lines of credit. So when, when credit is established, it's going to be either revolving lines of credit, which is your credit card, um, installment loans, which are car loans or others, um, anything that repro reports on credit. Now, your day-to-day -day American always has some kind of insurance, will always have rent, and now student loans are allowing for that. Yep. So that is, a re uh, that is alternative lines of credit, and they'll take them in consideration and say, well, look, the last 24, 12 to 24 months, they've been paying on time, and that is a positive um, outcome in your in your behalf. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's another testament to to the the pain points being addressed in in in, in areas of the United States where people just can't, like I said, or, or pull just, themselves up. Or like you said, maybe I I screwed up. We all screw mm -hmm. up. I mean, I've I've had my credit super low, and you know, I'm proud to say that I'm I'm in the high 700s now. But it, it took work. Yeah, and it wasn't easy. And a lot of people don't have the ability to build it back up mm -hmm. and you're just stuck in the mundane rut. Yep. Um, but you still have rent, you still have student loans, you still have insurance payments and the alternative lines of credit will help you. We've all screwed up, all of us at any time, some good, some bad, some others. There's an opportunity for you to still have home ownership. Absolutely. And, and that's the whole thing. And, and it's, and we've said it multiple times, home ownership is, is a key to financial freedom in, in, in some aspects. That's why so many people are hurt over the fact that they can't buy. And why we have so many millennials right now that are making over $100,000 a year and still renting because of things like 
credit and and, and stuff like that. Grant, and guys, Car- Grant Cardone. Yep. Grant, no, <laughs> and guys, for, for everybody listening on audio on audio right now, you you can't see it, and you probably heard it. Jameson's been silent for a while, and he's been looking at his computer screen. So whenever that happens, I'm I'm always eager. What 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 are you looking at, Jamo? <laughs> uh, no, I just it's it's funny because I just I don't understand what people want, right? Because we, we're in this <laughs> dichotomy of homeowners are good. I own my house, right, and I'm gaining equity and I want my home value to increase. People that don't own homes are not good because they're going well. We can't afford what we want or even what we deserve because. Home prices are out of whack and there's not enough affordability on you know, sort of all, all that stuff, right? But if I look at homeowners, you guys used to not be homeowners and were able to purchase something based on the affordability that you guys were able to have back 10, 15, 20 years ago. So to have that, right, and then in the same breath go, well, we don't want more density because we want to protect America's suburbs – you're essentially saying, well, you too bad. You guys should have been fucking born 15 years ago. <laughs> I love all the memes. It's like the meme. That you know says, what I'm saying? That's Excuse but, me. But it's true. I should have bought a house while I right. was in so, eighth grade. <laughs> so it's you true know? because if you look at it, like, and, I, and I'm not trying to make this a political argument, and I like the fact that a lot of these, these bills that are being introduced are bipartisan, right? Because people understand the big picture. But you look at it and you go, yeah, a lot of people are like, well, I made a decision. I bought a house. If it's a 57-year-old saying that, and they bought a house when they were 30, that's 27 years ago. Well, 27 years ago, I was nine. Mm-hmm. I couldn't buy a house, right? My parents were probably on their, I think their second house that they bought in Virginia Beach for $187,000. And I think it's just, it, it's, it's frustrating to me that yes, I get it. People 10, 15 years ago bought a home, home prices increased, you got your equity, you then sold that house, you bought a bigger house on an acre, and now you're good. You don't talk to your neighbors because you're antisocial and just weird. But now you're punishing everybody else behind you by saying, well, I'm not going to allow century communities to come in, buy up this plot of land next to my neighborhood, zone for smaller lot sizes so the houses are more affordable because I don't want to go look at houses because I put the work in. You fucking didn't. You were born 20 years before the next generation, which allowed you guys to have an advantage so to then turn around and say, well, I'm okay with denying those people that opportunity, that opportunity is bullshit, right? Because well, think about it. So Oregon, right, they, they put in, and again, I get, I'm not trying to be political. I understand that there's states are run differently by different governors. I fucking get that. I'm just talking housing, so don't come at me. But Come at them. Yeah, I want to see no, it. No, don't come at me because I'm just saying from a, human I love being, those from a human being standpoint, right? So as a, in Oregon – Cities with a population of 10,000 or more. Uh, hold on. So, yeah. Oregon required cities with a population of 10,000 or more, which, so this would be Castle Rock, right? Uh, to allow duplexes in, within single-family neighborhoods. Okay? Well, that community that I, just went up. Yes, Crystal I know. Valley. Right. Uh, or um, Crowfoot. Yep. Right? Right in between us and Parker. Uh, those with over 25,000 residents were required to allow triplexes and fourplexes. As far as I know, there is no fourplexes in Castle Rock, and Mm -hmm. we're at 66,000, right? I'd look for them. But if if there are, people would purchase them. People don't want quadplexes or whatever, triplexes, because, well, it's lower-income bullshit. At the end of the day, 
it doesn't affect you, right? If anything, it just creates opportunity. Well, it brings people into the community. And again, it's a stigma, right? Correct. Duplexes, condos, townhomes, ranchers, right. all bad people. Right. Charlie's ranching right now. Mm-hmm. We will get him a house. He is one of the nicest people I know. Well, I would have. Man. I would love for him to be my neighbor. Right. I would. But, I would move my one of my neighbors in my neighborhood and put Charlie in there. <laughs> yeah. But my, my frustrations are as I'm reading some of these articles, I'm looking at the differing viewpoints. Mm-hmm. Like the the idea that we need to protect America's suburbs to me is a joke, especially in somewhere like Colorado. Right? Are you. Tell me you're out of touch without telling me you're out of touch. Well, Oscar, <laughs> let me ask you this, right? You, I don't know if you've toured them, but over in Terrain, which is, you know, kind of East Castle Rock, there, uh, I think it was um, KB Homes is building duplexes. Those duplexes are going for $450,000 a piece. What riffraff is going to come in and buy a half a million dollar duplex, right? But the, 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 the difference is that duplex, which is a, probably a three bed, two bath, 1,700 square foot with a little private backyard that would be great for a starter family. If they were to buy that as a single family home with a minimum lot size, you go from $450,000 to $650,000, which immediately disqualifies anybody that doesn't make over $150,000 a year. But now you're saying that somebody makes $100,000 a year is not allowed in your neighborhood because you don't want more neighbors because you enjoy the natural beauty of Castle Rock while you're on your phone posting 18 times on Nextdoor (laughs) In your house with the blinds closed. Like, and let, shut the fuck and, up. And let me, let me elaborate on the stigma part. Oh, I know the riffraff. It's not riffraff. Who are the most underpaid people? <clears throat> Teachers. Mm-hmm. Are they riffraff? They don't get paid much. Let's build some police of those. Police officers don't get paid much. Firefighters yeah, don't here get paid in Castle much. Rock, police well, officers police officers do, yes. In Douglas County, they get paid well. Yes. But, but not Aurora or Denver County. No, no, nope. no one in Aurora gets right. paid well. Um, <laughs> sorry, Aurora. Um, but, and, and there's really nice parts of Aurora. I'm, I'm just messing. But... Teachers. Teachers don't make a lot of money. Let's bring some teachers into the community. I'll, I'll build townhomes and duplexes. And really, you're, you're, you're not going to want a teacher as your neighbor. Right. You know? yeah, but that's, that's my point is you get the majority of people, actually not the majority, 100% of people that are against changing the zoning laws for higher density things like duplexes, triplexes, quadplexes, etc. are the people that already own. But by like... It's just, it's a scientific fact I that mean, those people used to rent. They just happened to buy at the right time based on history, not based on a choice that they made. They didn't gamble on the market. They didn't time the market. They just happened to be 27 with a $30,000 a year job and home prices were $98,000. And they were able to parlay that into more and more and more purchases, which good for you. But you didn't choose the decade parties. that you were born at all. Hit. Right? So if, you're, if you can't turn around and give back and go, you know what, I'm going to support the zoning laws that make sense. We don't want to go buck wild, right? I don't want to allow 15-story condos in the middle of Crystal Valley Park, right? Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But if it's a, hey, a new construction, 20% need to be duplexes or triplexes to bring affordability in, just because somebody makes less money than you doesn't mean they are a detriment to your fucking neighborhood. Well, and, and I, I like to play devil's advocate. So, um, if you will, right now, in my current adultness, um, I'm like my son. No one's, no one's a stranger. It's just someone I haven't met yet. Mm-hmm. And I would enjoy to see new people, a good, a good community, right? That's why we have police officers, and hopefully we could, we could, we could keep it under wraps because there are some bad gigs out there that ruin it for everybody. Right now, let's go. Mm-hmm. Now, in my older age, I'm not going to lie. My house now... 
I'll probably pass it down to my kids or, 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 or whatever the, the case may be. I want acreage. Sure. I mean, at, at my old age, I just want to be kind of left alone to my own demise. And I'm a little rednecky. I, I just want acreage to do what I do. And that's okay. But I'm going to work up to that status, if you will. Not only and that, but dude, I'm going to move away. If I were to sell you a house, if you were my and, client, and retire. Right? Yeah. Right? But if you were my client and I sold you a house, let's say you were on five acres in Bell Mountain Ranch. Done. Okay. Cool. Where I would have a problem is if Douglas County or Castle Rock came in and said, hey, I know you have five acres, but we want to use two of those acres to add homes. And we're going to pay you for those two acres, but I'm going to, I'm going to erect a fourplex on your property. Yeah. Yes, that is a completely 100%. different story. 100%. But if I'm on five acres, I'm sorry, I've sold multiple five-acre, multimillion-dollar properties. You don't see your neighbors, Mm-mm. okay? You, you just don't. Hell, and my buddy lives on five acres in Brighton right by Highway 76 right. and Rarely sees his neighbors. Right. That's in city. Yep. So I, I, that, I, I understand that portion of it, but I think people are just, it's this don't tread on me attitude that you didn't earn it. I'm sorry to say, but like if you bought a house and whatever, because you were the right age and you had a job in the house. Now, now you made prices, a good decision. Correct. You did make a good and decision. And you probably had somebody that was like, yeah, you should buy right now. But by no means does that now entitle you to say, okay, take well, you're not. Take the opportunity to someone else. Well, and, and that, doesn't take, that doesn't give you like, the, the, the entitlement to take the opportunity well, to someone that needs it. Right. Well, and ultimately, I think, Jameson, what you're touching on is, is the people who do own the house, it was the literal American dream. If you go to work and you work and you put the time in, you can buy a house. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but the sad reality right now is even if you're working two jobs, yeah. case in point, you're not going to be able to afford a home, regardless of what you do. So, you know, you got people like Whoopi Goldberg saying, well, if you only want to work four hours a week, then you're not, of course you're not going to. Shut up. It, that's not what it is. People are being held down now out of, by things that are out of their power. And again, the, the, the cost of living has gone up. The cost of housing has gone up. Livable wages have not. And it is just a fact. Red, blue, middle, whatever the hell you are, look at the numbers, look at the facts. It's just, it's just not there. Well, we, right? did, we, did we you talk just about tell it. the most famous dreads in America to shut up? We uh, Whoopi Goldberg to shut up. Well, we talked about affordability two, what was it, two episodes ago, and we said it's three factors, right? It's interest rates, house prices, and wages. One of those three, three, three things have to give. Unfortunately, interest rates going down raise house prices, right? Wages don't raise house prices. Mm-mm. Yep. That, that's what has to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, and wages have increased. We're at 7%. Inflation's at 3 So we're actually getting, we're getting in balance, but it's a lagging indicator, Some right? headway, but it's not even close. No, it's a lagging indicator. It's going yeah. to take, take time. Mm-hmm. So in order to combat that, if we want to now increase supply while rate, wages continue to increase to balance out what we're dealing with on top of trying to make housing as accessible to everyone as we possibly can with some of these policies, including zoning laws, the zoning laws are what's going to have to change. Like, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to build more denser in populated areas to allow people the opportunity to begin to build generational wealth well, and work up to the, I want my five acres and, in privacy and, and so on and so and forth. And I think what ends up happening is, as we get towards the end of the episode, we, we, start, <clears throat> we, you know, we start going, and, and it's funny because we always, we always tend to tie it in. Mm-hmm. So I think, I'll tie it all together. So I think, now we should move into our one rock takeaway for today's episode and guys just as you're tuning in on today's episode if you only watch the one rock takeaway we talked about the neighborhood homes tax credit and the four elements of it which is 16 billion in funding to build um uh 
homes, 28 billion in tax credits to builders, which will add inventory and, and incentivize builders, 10 billion in down payment assistance, and 100 million to supplement. And now we're going to talk about our one rock takeaways, which is the the conclusion, the, the, the conglomerate of our thought for today's topic. Who wants to take it? Oscar? I'll go first. All right. Um, again, I like to play devil's advocate, but during the pandemic, I think they did a fucking horrible job by reducing rates to what they were. I took advantage of it. I'm not going to lie. That was goddamn near free money. So I moved during the pandemic because it was, it was so cheap. So, um, but it caused us to be in the situation we're in. Now, this package, I think, was something that should have rolled out during the pandemic because it didn't mess with the interest rates. And with dropping the interest rate, what that did, it, it, it put a pool of people that had no business being in there. There was people moved because they wanted to move, not just because they had to move. Mm -hmm. So we were already behind from the recession on build, building homes. And now you give me free money pretty much with the lower rate. I don't have to move. I want to move now. And my, my, my house is going up instead of helping the people that needed a home, which this package looks like it's I, until I see it's it on until step it, in the right direction. It's a step in a better direction than what they did during the pandemic. And I think this should have been implemented in 2021 instead of the crap they did. I did take advantage of it, the crap they did. And every time the, the government gives me an opportunity to take advantage, I'm going to do it just like every As American should. should. <laughs> um, but I think this package, if done right, can help and ease some of the general public's concerns and welfares. You know, like, with, without, without harming, I mean, I don't see how this can affect in a, in a, in a negative way the market or moving forward. Um, the way we, we, we did it with the pandemic, we, we did it try to, to crash it, and it didn't work. We, we, we tried to stimulate it a little bit too much, and it went too far. It fucked everything up with the housing market. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is going to help bring back a lot of buyers and maybe keep some of the sellers put and not the ones that want to move but the ones that need to move and kind of balance that out. That's my one takeaway from this, this package. Hopefully done right. I'm praying that it does good. And if it passes, they revamp a few things that I think that will not be good. Jameson, you want to take it? You want me to go? I'll go because I think I know where you're going to go with yours. Okay. Um, my one rock takeaway is this conversation is why I like doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. Because I would venture to guess that a majority of the people that do watch or listen to this, if they've heard us beating the drum on it's a supply and demand issue, this is why housing is not affordable, we talk about the stimulus package, lowering rates, so on and so forth. Like Those are all the main headlines. But the underbelly and the actual reason, one of the big reasons we have a housing shortage is zoning laws and zoning regulations. And people assume depending on what mood they're in, that the federal government's either going to help or going to hurt. And they're going to change zoning laws or they're not. But it's not up to them. It's up to local municipalities and cities and the citizens within those cities to vote for those zoning laws to change. And the only way, and I hope we made that crystal fucking clear this episode, the only way that we can continue to build enough units, whether it's rentals or units for purchase, is to adapt zoning laws as our population increases, as our demographic shifts, as all these different things happen, zoning laws have to change. It's the only way that we can introduce more units, which will now increase supply, which will bring demand in line, 
which for the normal American is going to help affordability. Benefit. And then to pay attention to other policies within this bill that will help the lower to middle income families or the generationally renting families get to the point where they can access housing affordably. To add on that, I think um, this package is going to benefit certain states more than others. I think um, states that have room to grow, Wyoming, Nebraska, Oklahoma, um, if they do change their their zoning, I think a lot of this is gonna is gonna drive people to those states. Well, and here's how here's how convoluted this this topic can be. One of the ways they were trying to pass some of these incentivized tax credits for builders is to tie it in to transportation credit, mm-hmm. because they understand that if cities want more people to move there, they have to increase the transportation. But in order to get that credit, they would need to implement the affordable housing tax credits. So it is a very delicate game of cat and mouse to get these cities who are historically very, very defensive when it comes to growth for the most part, outside of charging (coughs) taxes, um, when it comes to their population and then the citizens that vote are very against expanding the American suburb. Well, there's part of this is, hey, well, you know, we'll give you transportation incentives to get light rails, RTD, whatever that looks like, right? Those, those, in, those, those pieces of infrastructure, but you have to now involve affordable housing. It's not a, it will not be a one size fits all. And to Oscar's point, it, this could play out differently in a state like Wyoming than it will in Colorado, than it will in Denver, than it will in San Francisco based on what the needs are, Vegas, et cetera. Right. Cause there's a lot of other things, but the point is the more educated you are when you do make a decision, you'll be able to make that decision well mm-hmm. and understand that the zoning laws are, to me, it is the biggest roadblock for affordable housing in the United States. Well, and, and it's, it's, it's a touchy subject, too, because they, they had um, not only a designation for realtors, but a program for ADA, the American Disability yep. Act, to, to build ranch-style homes within mm-hmm. a certain area, and they gave grants for that. Mm-hmm. And yep. it didn't take off. Well, I don't and, understand. And here's so that that both of what both of you guys said plays into to my one rock takeaway very well. Um, and the one thing that I, you know, we talked about bipartisan. We talk about parties. This, this is politically, you know, charged with it being the Biden administ- administration and election coming up. There's there's some things in, in my one rock takeaway I want to touch on. And the first one that I, I do want to touch on is you heard us say the word supplement multiple times and when we went to the affordable the affordable housing the 10 billion dollars the 100 million dollars that is your government supplementing that is your tax dollars paying into the betterment of the community and what i fear is people see the color blue and they see the word supplement and automatically they go to this is socialism i'm not paying for other people that is my fear and all i have to say about that is if you bought a house during the pandemic when the interest rates were at 2.5 to 3.2% and you are crying supplemented, I'm not helping these people, sit down. Because the only reason you were able to buy that house during that time was because the government was backing your mortgage and putting money towards it in order for you to keep that interest low and buy that house. So if you are one of those people and you speak on supplementation, Sit down and shut up, first point. Secondly, 
I want to break away from the red and the blue of it and speak as a American citizen who is existing in this economic ecosystem right now. If I were to look at this bill, take away the blue, take away the donkey, take away the elephant, this is the first time that I'm seeing something come across where I feel like the pain points are being addressed. Irregardless of color, of red, blue, irregardless of party, we have now hit the, I can't afford a home because I've been held down. Mm -hmm. We have now hit, people are buying up and the investors are buying up all the available homes, so I can't. That was touched. And this overall, regardless of how you feel about the, the politics of it, if you look at it objectively as an American citizen, whether it was the red party that in- introduced it, whether it was the blue party that introduced it, this is a phenomenal step forward for what we are dealing with in today's housing market. That's my one. Right, and don't look at supplement as a bad thing. I mean, mm-hmm. you go to the gym, mm-hmm. uh, you eat your food, you get a healthy diet. Mm-hmm. If you want to get bigger, well, you, you drink some protein, right? Mm-hmm. Protein powder. What's that called? Supplement. It's a supplement. It's but a supplement exactly. to whatever we already have mm-hmm. to gain. But right? in, Don't look at it as a, it's, it's in a, the last, a crutch. It's not in, a crutch. In the last eight years, we have had so many people become divisive over the thought of, I'm paying money to help somebody else. We're all paying money. We all, we all that's, that's what our taxes We're are. We're all right? paying money. And so that's why I say it like that. And again, guys, like, I know, obviously, I can't wait to clip this and put it on social media because I can't wait for the comments because I want to have these conversations. I don't care. We've gotten so divisive. Regardless of who is in that position, they are a puppet. They've done a phenomenal job of dividing us and making us think that the one person that gets elected to this position is the person that makes all the decisions, and they've totally gotten us away from term limits in Congress, term limits in Senate, all the (coughs) things that matter to our day-to-day decisions like this. And so that's why I brought it up in that way. And it's, it's just like, we need to get back to being Americans. I don't care if you're red. I don't care. We're Americans. We're here to help each other. We got what we got by standing on the backs of the giants that came. We need us. to start thinking like our children. Mm-hmm. We, yep. we talked about the, the middle schoolers and mm-hmm. how they looked at things. Yep. Um, one of the biggest things here living in Castle Rock is trying to get us getting to know my son's friend's parents. Mm-hmm. Boy, is that an interesting thing. <laughs> I can only imagine. Because they love hanging out, but... <clears throat> oh my God, the political sides of them mm-hmm. come up immediately, yep. immediately. Yep. And my son likes hanging out with their son or daughter. And I'm just like, hey, I'm not going to bring that up. You're spewing it at me. But I'm going to stay neutral. Mm-hmm. Here's, stay neutral. here's why dollars matter, matter when it comes to affordable housing. Last, this is my last example. We can move on. This topic was touchy. I was so, only supposed to have one poor. <laughs> Minneapolis, right? Mm-hmm. They Minnesota. changed zoning laws. Hey. They voted to change zoning laws to allow more affordable housing. But affordable housing, because it's for profit by developers, will always involve some sort of incentive to get people to build something that they're not going to make money of, right? They had a request of $34 million to build affordable rental units in Minneapolis last year. The city was only able to give them out of their budget $16 million dollars. That is where the supplement of this $10 billion grant here and $28 billion in low-income home tax credits are going to go is when cities say, hey, we want to build more units and we've got developers that are within the parameters to ask for the money that we've told them we're going to give, but we can't actually provide that. So what that means is that $34 million, they only were able to give $16 million. Quick math, that's 
they wanted to, they ended up building half of the amount of affordable units that they wanted to build. That's interesting. Two, two, two reasons. I, I'm, I don't know Minnesota that well, but my wife's from there and St. Paul's the more, you know, diverse, mm-hmm. lower income part of that city. So that's interesting. Minneapolis <coughs> or Minneapolis yep. is the one that, that went for it. Mm-hmm. And two, land is scarce. There's more freaking water than land in, in Minnesota. That's what I'm saying. But that's when people are like, where's this money going to? It's going to provide the supplement, like you just said, to build that housing because the cities have a budget. And they yeah. got to spend on all these different things. And if you, you know, guys want to, it's just. Here's, here's a good example right now. The mayor of Denver. I don't care. I don't live in Denver. I do care because it's a city I was born in. I, my heart's always, I'm, I'm from Denver. Um, I wasn't too, I wasn't a fan of the last mayor. Okay, that's my, that's my business. This current mayor is actually reaching out to other cities like New York to see how they're combating homelessness. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. He's, he's branching out to see, hey, how are these bigger cities You like that? I like, I like that. You like that, Kirk Cousins? I like that. I like it a lot with my <laughs> yeah. teeny weeny beanie. It's we, it's we, not we, a simple problem to solve. No, it's going to take. Let's, let's it is think outside the take, box. Yeah, it's going to take outside the box thinking. It's cohesion. going to take a ton of resources. It's going to take cohesion. It's going to take understanding. It's going to take empathy. All these things that make us human <laughs> is what it's going to take. <laughs> yep. And yet somehow we're using all the qualities: selfishness, greed, bias that don't make us make us the worst parts of ourselves to solve it. We just have to get back to like what makes us human and how we and interact exactly with our friends right. and family. Yep. And that's what's going to solve this we're problem. All, we're all human. You know, we're, all, we're all human. Ooh. And I have my own ways yep. and what I think. And no one paved my way and I had to fight. My, and I, I could, we could go yes. into that crap. Listeners, we're all human. Let's, lo- let's just love it and see what we can do to better I, everybody. I wish, I wish you could see how much effort we put into this pre-show to try and keep it under an hour. But this just goes to show you it's a touchy topic. There's it a is. lot that you can cover. Yeah. There's a lot that you can go over with it. But please, ask us questions. Comment, like, subscribe, and and we'll we'll go through it with you. We'll have these conversations. Even if it's hate, man, bring it on. All three of us can handle it. But if it's a chance to educate and have a conversation with you, and you give me a different perspective, we got it. So I think that one thing that could solve this more bourbon, more bourbon. And mm. what I mean by that is, if we all sit down together and share a glass of bourbon, just have a conversation over a good bourbon. Thing would be good and on that note let's move into our bourbon review for today's episode and uh today we are reviewing hinterhaus hinterhaus this got is, sweeter i was gonna say a 92 Way proof sweeter. that is that was um distilled finished distilled in a uh wine cast barrel all different kinds and uh yeah i it it's it open it's it's straight it stayed dry Mm-hmm. But it was sweeter as I as this, I sipped on this. This reminds me of if I were in a boxing match with Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray Leonard. Mm-hmm. Every time I feel like I got it figured out, bam, yeah. I get hit with something else. Bam, I get hit with something else. It's complex, but it's like unpredictably complex. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna. I'm, I'm a little impressed that you know you know Sugar Ray Leonard. So what's my middle name, homie? Jameson Ray Amaros. Oh. Damn. Nice. That's who I was named after. And that's how, and then, we won't and say who it. I was named after my first name, but my middle <laughs> name, my mom was a huge Sugar Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard fan. I was, uh, I am of the era of the Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Roberto Duran oh, yeah. battles. I I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm going to pat myself on the back with this one. I was right when it came to the, the glass and how it was going to yeah. open. Uh, JC's glass, that ethanol comes through way heavier now. Does it? Yeah, way heavier on the nose now. Um, definitely, I still don't get that chocolate they were talking about, but it's the sweetness died down a little bit. The ethanol came I, through. I got more of a of, of a of a floral 
yeah. as I drank it. A, mm-hmm. a more floral uh, taste. Um, I, I came through with a more um, sweeter palate. The mm. dryness held strong. Yeah. And when I say dry, it's kind of like distilled water. It sucks the moisture mm-hmm. out of your tongue. Um, that, that happened throughout the, the I don't know how to rate this. this. I, don't, I don't have anything to compare it to. See, if I compare it to that Breckenridge rum cask, it'll be 15 times better. better. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that rum cask was, <laughs> but sorry, Breckenridge, it wasn't my favorite. It's what no. that Breckenridge was trying to be. Yes, exactly. I think. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. That is a great way to put it. And is I, that I table think, further for me today? I feel like. No. I, well, it's a smaller table. Yeah. Oh. It's going to get smaller every episode. <laughs> right? Yeah. We're going to um, be left with just this. Eventually, it's going to be like the, a stanchion. As I it. let it open, as I, my glass, you know, I, I didn't do a second pour. So this is, my, this is my original pour from the start of the episode. At the beginning, I did not get any of those chocolate cherry notes. Yep. Nothing like that. Yep. It was all the sweetness of the wine. Now, 100%, I'm getting, I'm getting that, that chocolate cherry, um, that, what did they, they mentioned a pie or something? Uh, cherry strudel. Strudel, fig. yeah. I'm definitely getting that strudel. I got now. the agricultural part of it, mm-hmm. that, that chopped maybe fruit, that fresh fruit, fresh um, uh, alfalfa. I don't know if you've if you ever been on a farm and it's just that fresh cut greens yep i get a little bit of that but yeah. it's very summer berries figs floral fruit, uh rich vanilla cherry yeah. strudel coffee and blood orange still not getting the coffee i can definitely i get the i get the acidity of the orange yeah not necessarily the flavor yeah but the acidity of that citrus mm. for sure interesting mm. very very jameson good good choice all right now we have to know what's the price on the bottle 58 dollar okay 58 okay. for a 92 proof at 58 you know, and, and we always talk about these, the companies that do, we call them the, the shticks, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, I did it in a, in a rum cast barrel. I think that they have done with this not only what they intended to, but a little bit more. Yep. Um, I, I, I really like the complexity of it. And you can definitely tell between the dryness that Oscar was referring to, the, the, the more cherry, the sweeter notes mm-hmm. in it. You can definitely tell that this was finished in a wine cask. Um, as far as... Oh wow! I just I just got a little bit of the chocolate. <laughs> as far as the um, the like the overall comparison to other bourbons, I see how this was voted a top sipper because of the complexity and how it changes. You kind of go through different experiences with it while you're sipping on it. I don't I don't know how I would compare it to a traditional bourbon. That's I, what I, I, don't think, I, I don't think I don't there's have, no comparison to no, a traditional bourbon. I think bourbon. it's in a class. <clears throat> yeah, I yeah. agree. It's not, it's not my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to, I, I'm, and I'm assuming, Mr. Julian, I'm sorry. If you pour this to Julian Van Winkle, he's probably going to say it's crap because mm-hmm. traditionalist, right? Yeah. I think this is a new, new age bourbon drinking mm-hmm. bourbon. This is, the, this is the definition of what, of what we're seeing with these craft distillers. I think this is a, an IPA of bourbon. I was, you beat me to it. Yeah. I was just about to say yeah. the yeah. IPA bourbons. Yeah, yep. it, it definitely. It's yeah. like the coffee, stout, nitro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, I, I, I think it still maintains some of the qualities of a good bourbon. Yes. Yeah. Right? I, I like, like the it. dry finish. It's not my wheelhouse, but I, I like I still it. get the oak. I get, yes, it's sweet. It has that, that, that wine cast finish with the fig, cherry strudel. I do get the cherry cola, which is interesting. That's mm-hmm. actually gotten, right, because I read it in the very yeah. beginning. I've been searching for it. Um, but yeah, I don't think you're not going to compare this to an Elijah Craig no. or and I think the cherry cola, like to, to correct me if I'm wrong, the cherry cola flavor that I'm getting is not when you drink cherry cola, it's the aftertaste. It's the aftertaste yes. And it, it lingers in the aftertaste. Yes, exactly. And, and okay. for me, if you want to go even more in depth, it's a flat cherry. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, honestly, like 
I almost feel like we should do an entire series of what I would deem new experimental bourbons or new age yeah. bourbons, like new age or experimental bourbons, because it's just it, coming so prevalent now. Yes. Yeah. I and, mean, and, and I which think, it's, it's a natural evolution, right? Like yeah. everybody knows, okay, American oak barrels, you can char it for X amount of time. Well, now let's start mixing it with different things. The, one of the first ones that I've seen, and this is probably five years ago that I saw experimenting with this is my namesake. Jameson. Jameson. Mm-hmm. So they started partnering with Guinness yep. and using Guinness barrels to age their Irish whiskey. So mm-hmm. they came out with an IPA version, a stout version. Then you started to see, I just saw uh, Basil Hayden's just came out with a malted rye mm-hmm. version I was going to pick up, but way too expensive. And the 10-year has left a bad yeah, taste yeah. in my mouth. Dang, hold on. I, I have a new renowned respect for you right now. Why? You're named after a whiskey and sugar ray Leonard? Yeah. Oh. That's badass. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Amos. And my last name means lover. So hey. trifecta, baby. Dang. I can drink, I can fight, and I love. Mm. Well done. Well done. That's awesome. With, that with, awesome. with everything well, you said, I think it's going to – it's unfair, my rating, that I'm going to give it mm-hmm. just because it's not my wheelhouse. Right. But if you took a category and put it into what a new age bourbon would be, I think I'd rate it better. Yes, yeah. I agree. If, if I agree. I, let's say if I were to put this in that Breckenridge rum cask – Oh, it would – dominate it yeah it would be it would be leagues above for sure um so let's go ahead and move into our rock rating for 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 the bourbon and guys don't forget how we do our rock rating is on a scale of one to Mm ten one being better ten being the worst because the more rocks you want to put in a bourbon the worse the bourbon usually is or the whiskey usually is so um on that note oscar you said that you're going to be a little mean to it but uh what are you looking what are you thinking five and a half five and a half okay all right and that's based on the based on the overall just bourbon of it all. Yeah, the bourbon yeah. and what what my wheelhouse is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm more old school all the way. Yep. Okay. Um, I think I'll be a little bit a little bit nicer with it. Not not very generous, but for what it is, and again, it is it is a phenomenal experience when you drink it because of the complexity. I'm gonna sit I'm gonna sit right around it right around a four 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 point two maybe for me. Uh, I agree. I'm, like I said, I'm trying, it's hard because we've only had, I think, two finished barrels. Yeah. Finished differently than in, in, a, in a deal. And the first one was god-awful. Um, it was bad. Laura, we still love you. Lauren. Oh, yes. Because I think Lauren was the one that brought it, right? I think so. <laughs> so, Lauren, we still love you. Great yeah, choice. You're still but, awesome. And, and yeah. Breckenridge. And Breckenridge is great. Yes. Yeah, we still love you, too. But this, this is head and shoulders above. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to probably go, because I still like it. Like, yeah. I see what they were trying to do. And oh, I it's think, good. I'm not, I think I, they I had like a plan, it. and they executed. We want to have an experimental bourbon that appeals to people with a sweeter palate, but we still want to be able to distill something that has a bite to it, which I still think that bitterness and dryness at the end gives yeah. it that bite. It's not overly sweet. I actually love the fact that the on-the-nose is 100% different yeah. than what you actually taste. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go the four. Nice. Mm, yeah. So we got Jameson four, me four point two. Oscar's gonna sit at a five point five. And again, guys, please let us know if there's a bourbon that you've tried and you want you want us to try it out and give a review. Let us know. Leave a comment. Remember, you can find all of our all of our content, community home tours, the podcast, uh, new new build home tours, community spotlights, uh, all on at Living in Colorado, the Mile High Perspective on YouTube. Please like, follow, share it. Um, leave us a comment. Let's have let's have a little bit of an argument. Let's yeah. have a discussion, right? We're we're all here for it. Um, and remember, guys, 
We are available to you 24-7. We may not pick up, but you can always leave a message, shoot us a text, um, and you can send us an email at resotr at themilehighperspective.com or give us a phone call. 303-578-0263. On that note, guys, we look forward to another phenomenal year of this podcast with you guys. Out to everybody who's, who's trying to you know, do their best. 2024 is going to be your year. We're going to make it happen. Stay positive. Stay driven. And I uh, have a mission statement for 2024. Go, go for it. Super simple. Lock in. Lock in. That's yep. it. Yep. Uh, also, I'd, I'd be remiss, right? But if you guys are watching this, we obviously have Charlie, the realtor. We also have Charlie, the videographer and producer. Mm-hmm. Um, so just for the people out there, Charlie, if they want to get in touch with you, yeah. For any sort of videography needs, social media, whatever, where can they find you? So you can find me uh, on Facebook and Instagram at BTG Productions. Uh, Facebook is going to have a lot more content right now for my portfolio. <coughs> if you're a business and you want to kind of connect a little bit more, talk about business strategies, video marketing, stuff like that, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Charlie Sardelli. You can find me on there. More than happy to talk with you guys. Um, it's this, this video production space is crazy, and it's only getting better. So The man knows what he's doing. Yep. Reach out, please. Please. But guys, on that note, been a great episode, great conversation. So happy to be back. Yep. Cheers to 2024. Happy New Year. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Real Estate Served on the Rocks. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and for the weekly video version, subscribe to our YouTube channel at Living in Colorado, The Mile High Perspective.